Well, hello and welcome to this quick catch up on Acts 12. Um, I apologise this isn't the live sermon from the service, um, but we've been having some technical difficulties over August and we've also been worshipping out in the garden where it's harder to record and to live stream. So this is one of three catch-up sermons that are going to be going up in the next couple of days hopefully and we're really keen to make this happen because actually as we've journeyed through Acts from the start of 2023 there's been some amazing preaching from members of our community and we think this is just such a fab resource going forwards and through the book of Acts and so to have you know three or four weeks in August where there's just a, a gap between Acts 10 and I think Acts 17 where there's no preaching felt like a bit of a shame so here I am just kind of giving us a catch up on Acts 12. Now, um, I think I forgot to introduce myself. My name's James and it's whether you're um, on the other side of the camera, um, sat in your living room with your Bible open or whether you've got the podcast going and you're on the go. Um, it's just wonderful to share with you and hopefully we'll get something out this time together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I pray just as the early church stuck with you through thick and thin and you led them so beautifully and faithfully, wherever we find ourselves now, I pray that your word would speak to us in the thick and in the thin. And we would know what you're calling us to next. Amen. So let's have Acts 12, starting at verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met with approval amongst amongst the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting Peter, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was fervently praying to God for him. The night before Herod was going to bring Peter to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone into the cell. The angel struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed the angel out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called called Mark, where many people were gathered and were praying. 
Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening the gate and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. But when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Do you know, even as we're reading it there, there's, there's just so much richness in this passage. You know, Herod's willingness to trial the guards, to give them a fair shout. But actually, James doesn't sound like James got that before he was executed. Really interesting. What's this going on with Rhoda, this particular servant? You know, that would be really interesting to get into too. And... There's some other stuff in here that's just just kind of amazing. So I do suggest, you know, go back and read this again. I'm just going to quickly really touch on one thing around prayer as we um, carry on. Um, but it is an incredible passage and it feels like a happy ending. We, you know, we love a happy ending, don't we? When the hero of the story saves the day, when the villain is vanquished forever, when relationships are restored and peace pervades. And because we love those happy endings, it's tempting just to focus on the sensational parts of this story in Acts 12. The church prays and by some crazy miracle, the chains fell off and Peter walks free. The hero lives on. Wow, phone Netflix, we have a blockbuster on our hands. But real life is not always like that. Real life is so full of twists and turns. It can all end up looking like a tangled mess rather than something tied in a neat little bow. You know, wouldn't it be nice if every time we went to bed at night, each problem from the day was resolved? Wouldn't it be nice to have a firm date in our diaries in 2023 when all the worry, the pain, the struggle, the loss is dealt with and we don't have to battle on any longer? We might look at this prison break miracle and think, what does it matter? Stuff like this just never happens to me. But there is so much in this story. There are twists and turns. There's thick and thin. There's joy and there's sorrow. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of the early church as best we can. They prayed and Peter was freed. Wow! Yet at the same time, they were still grieving the death, the cruel death of their dear friend, James. And here's my big unanswered question. Why wasn't James's life spared too? Could God not have rescued him as well? Was there some bigger point to, Je to, Jesus's, to James's death that we just don't see? The trouble is that James's death isn't described in much detail in this passage. There's no real mention of anyone praying for him or even what the response to his death is. You know, James was, was a local leader in the community. 
So imagine you were sitting in church on Sunday morning and the preacher was just grabbed and taken by a, a, a you know, a, a host of guards or soldiers and just walked in chains out of the building. Imagine if in Parliament tomorrow one of the MPs just got arrested for no reason or maybe for some contentious reason, I don't know. But it would be a, a dramatic and desperate situation. And if it's someone that we cared about or we entrusted, you know, we would pray for them, right? We would be rattled by the situation. We would respond in some way. Now, we know the early church were in the habit of praying daily and gathering daily. And we know that prayer seemed to saturate everything that they approached. They prayed for miracles and saw them happen sometimes. They prayed for guidance and uncovered wise plans. They prayed for courage and stood up to some really quite scary enemies. Christians had been in the habit of praying. But not just that, Christians had seen prison breaks at least twice before we get those accounts and acts. So this particular miracle, though crazy, wasn't even unheard of. I know some of the other Christians being free from prison happened differently, but but this is not new ways of God working to them. They've seen this before. And I think it's very likely that the early church had been on their knees praying for James's life to be spared, even though very little is said about that in the scriptures. So why were their prayers not answered for James in the same way they were answered for Peter? Well, we may never know. Just like we may never know why cancer pervades, why loved ones die before their time, why Christians are still executed all over the world. If anything, I'm deeply challenged that those early Christians kept on praying. If I was there after the deaths of Stephen and James, I would have run a mile. I would have been so scared of execution myself. Furious at what had happened and the injustice, but also terrified. And I don't know if I would have carried on praying. If I was feeling at my boldest, maybe I would have written to my local MP or signed a petition or shared a cause on my Instagram story or gone to a rally. If I was had my wits about me, maybe I would have had a, a life plan in place that if I were to leave the country, I had a distant relative to go to or a job in place. But their first response... Their first port of call was to stay in Jerusalem and to pray for Peter. They stayed and they prayed. So whilst we may not always get the answers that we want, prayer is always the best place to start and the best place to keep on going. There are places in the Bible where God's people pray and it is almost as though their prayers change God's plans. That Somehow, and this is a mystery that boggles me, that our prayers can matter so much to God that he tweaks the plans when we pray. He tweaks the plans at our request. Now, we cannot fully understand how prayer works or how God responds to it. That's just, it's just a miracle and it's a mystery. And ultimately, all miracles happen by God's power, not by our performance. It's not primarily about faith or fervour or method. Miracles happen by the Lord. It's his call. You know, notice at the start of this story that 
Herod appears to be in command. He appears to be in control. He appears to be making all the calls. You know, he arrests those Christian leaders around the time of the festival when thousands of people had gathered to Jerusalem just so they could see. You know, he had he had an audience to what he wanted to do. And he took lives to please the crowd and to build his reputation and to save his own skin. But perhaps it's lost on Herod that a few years before, God used this same nationwide party to draw attention to Jesus. The real king in town, the real one in command, the one who makes all the calls. But instead of taking a life to save his own skin, he gave his life to save everyone else's. I don't know about you, but I am encouraged by what God is doing around the world, but also particularly in St Swithin's right now. People are coming to faith here. People in our community are taking steps to become free of addiction. And God is literally freeing Christians from prison around the world today. Though it may not hit our news feeds, there are promising signs of his kingdom. Yet, with all this, there's also huge amounts of fragility and challenge that we face in our world, in our lives, in this, in this city. You know, we live in a world where God's kingdom has not yet fully come. And Luke tells of both a prison break and an execution within a few paragraphs in Acts 12. Joy and sorrow all at once. You know, he tells of Peter being set free, but then having to go after hushed whispers into hiding. It's a blurring of the lines between this world and the kingdom that is coming. You know, when we pray your kingdom come, we're getting into conversation with a God who promises that one day it will come. You know, there will be a day that where there is no more death, no more pain and every tear will be wiped away. When we pray your will be done, we get to hear what God's desire is for our lives right now. To pray is not to escape, to give up or completely abdicate. To pray is to engage, to trust and to participate. We may never see angels or prison chains fall in this life, but I want to get to a place where I am willing to allow God to to use me and my circumstances in whatever way he wants. And I can't get there without ongoing conversation. I can't get there without prayer. Luke used a particular word here to describe how they prayed for Peter. In a lot of translations, it's put as they prayed fervently. But it can also be maybe more literally translated as fully stretched. A prayer, prayer, sorry, that are persevering and passionate. But fervent prayer is not the same thing as begging. We are sons and daughters and we get to be in ongoing, faithful conversation with our Heavenly Father, whose power is unrivaled, pardon me, and his love for us is unmatched. You know, there's no need to beg with our Heavenly Father in the room, with a conversation with him. There's every reason to share our heart's cry, to listen intently and to follow Herod knew that Peter has this track record of getting out of prison. And if you want to look it up, you can go back to Acts 4 and to 
and to Act 5. This time around, Herod's not taking any chances. Peter is not given the usual degree of security. But what Herod doesn't count on that is that multiple locks and many soldiers are no match for God. The miracle is so beyond human origin that Peter, who's, I mean, let's face it, has seen a lot in his life, still thinks that he was dreaming. This is the God of the impossible who can blur the lines between heaven and earth. At his command, at his call. Notice how it it appears much easier for Peter to break free from prison than to enter the house where his friends are praying. They are so preoccupied with their own desperation that when God answers their prayers, they're head down and they struggle to see it. You know, it's okay for our prayers to be full with our honest emotion. We need to come to God as we are. And if our prayers are kick-started by desperation, by anger, by sadness, by fear, that's, that's actually not a bad place to start. But wherever we find ourselves, we must not stay there. You know, in prayer, God has so much to share with us, so much to say to us. We need to move from simply expressing our thoughts or feelings or giving him our shopping list of things that we desperately need. You know, we get to see and to hear what he's up to. We get to touch the heart of God. So as we go on praying, let's pray fully stretched. Let's not give up through thick and thin. But let's also have our ears, our eyes, our hearts open as we pray your kingdom come. And maybe, just maybe, we will see the lines continue to blur.